This is an RNZ podcast. Last week, the Sunday Star Times ran an article asking the question, is the New Zealand media eco-friendly? And this was more of an environmental stocktake of the media businesses themselves than an analysis of their editorial commitment to reporting environmental issues. So we learned, for example, that Stuff uses vegetable-based ink, RNZ has a sustainability working group, MediaWorks aims to cut office waste in half, NZME uses the most sustainable paper on the market, the spin-off aims to become carbon positive, and so on. But in the scheme of things, how the media report climate change you'd think would have a far greater impact on the planet's future than the actions of any single company in-house. And as Jeremy Rose now reports, an international week of climate change reporting next month, which most of New Zealand's major media companies have signed up to, will provide a new opportunity to compare the efforts of the local media with their international counterparts. When the phony war turned hot, then I was listening every night with my dad. France fell. The British were driven into the sea at Dunkirk. Hong Kong and Singapore fell. Pearl Harbor was bombed. Guam and the Philippines were overrun. One defeat after another until it looked as if the fires of fascism were going to devour the world. But Murrah and his boys just kept reporting nonstop. That was veteran US broadcaster Bill Moyers giving the closing address at the Covering Climate Change Now conference in New York in April. His message was clear. Climate change is every bit as much as a threat now as fascism was in the 1930s. And journalists need to follow the lead of the likes of war correspondents Ed Murrow and William Shearer. With Europe just hours away from going up in flames, Murrah and Bill Shearer, partners, one in London, one in Berlin, were ordered by the powers at CBS to feature an entertainment broadcast spotlighting dance music from night spots in London, Paris, and Hamburg. They say there's so much bad news out of Europe, they want some good news. Murrah in London snapped to Shara in Berlin over the phone. To hell with those bastards in New York. It may cost us our jobs, but we're just not going to do it. And Bill Moyers continued... Our phony war is over. The hot war is here. There are long stretches of quiet. Then suddenly Houston is inundated, paradise burns, and San Juan disappears. The networks put their reporters, brave men and women, out there in raincoats battered by rain and the wind, or standing behind police bearers as the flames consume the far hills. And yet we rarely hear the words climate change or climate destruction. Just as for a long time at the Weather Channel, reporters were forbidden from even uttering the word global warming. Earlier this year, think tank Media Matters reported that US television network ABC's World News Tonight spent more than seven minutes reporting on the birth of royal baby Archie in the week after he was born, more time than the programme spent covering climate change during the entire year of 2018. And the other network channels weren't much better. Media Matters compared coverage of Archie's birth with a UN report claiming up to one million species could go extinct due to climate change, which was published the same week as the arrival of the baby, who was eighth in the line for the British throne, and found Archie won hands down on all the major networks. 
22 of the US's 50 largest newspapers failed to report the UN report at all. The Covering Climate Now conference, which Bill Moyers was speaking at, was organised by the Columbia Journalism Review, The Guardian and US magazine The Nation in response to that lack of reporting and in an attempt to bring some urgency to the question of climate change. Conference organisers have declared an international week of concentrated climate change coverage next month to precede a United Nations summit on climate change in New York that begins on September the 23rd. More than 70 news organisations around the world have already signed up, including Stuff, The New Zealand Herald, RNZ, TVNZ, Newsroom and The Spin-Off. Covering Climate Change Now's co-founders Mark Hertzgaard, Covering Climate Change Now's co-founders Mark Hertzgaard and Kyle Pope have written, We're not here to tell people what to write or broadcast. All that's required is for each outlet to make a good-faith effort to increase the amount and the visibility of its climate coverage, to make it clear to their audiences that climate change is not just one more story, but the overriding story of our time. So what do the New Zealand media outlets that have signed up to covering climate change now have in store for us? Well, none of them were particularly keen to share any details at this stage. Spin-off editor Toby Manhire wrote, We're planning a series of pieces, including at least two substantial features which are underway, and a bunch of shorter stories across a range of sections. The Members Project means we can afford to commission on important subjects like this, where before I just wouldn't have had the budget to do anything substantial. One news organisation that has already significantly ramped up its climate change coverage in recent months is Stuff. Back in November it launched Quick Save the Planet. Stuff Editor-in-Chief Patrick Crudson wrote at the time, Despair isn't the worst reaction to climate change. Complacency might be. Under an avalanche of foreboding news, sea level rises, melting ice sheets, accelerating species extinction, heat waves, ocean acidification... Despair comes naturally. And he continued, Solving climate change, or at least averting cataclysm, isn't as simple as planting more trees, eating less meat and swapping your car for a lime. Individuals can make a difference and inspire a ripple effect of change. But considering the scale of this problem, that won't be anywhere near enough. We need systemic change that shifts communities, companies and countries. The classic Kiwi-she'll-be-right attitude won't serve us here. Without urgent and comprehensive action, she won't be right. So what is Stuff planning for covering climate change now? That's the question I put to Stuff Editor-in-Chief Patrick Crudson. We've had an ongoing climate change project since November last year called Quick Save the Planet, and our goals there very much align with the broader Covering Climate Now um, project in that we wanted to use our status as the uh, country's biggest homegrown website to just really pound away at climate change coverage on a regular basis to increase the intensity of it and to make the problems of climate change feel urgent and tangible and unignorable. We felt that there was a, um, as New Zealanders, it was easy to feel that climate change was an issue that was distant from us, either physically or in time, that it was going to happen, you know, it was going to affect people in Bangladesh or Kiribati maybe, but not Auckland, and that if it was going to uh, happen, it would be happening in 2050 uh, rather than now. So our project is designed to make people realise that it's here and now. Just to stop you there, because you've produced a lot of content, but I'd have to say as a regular reader of the print edition, I'm surprised when I go to the Quick Save the Planet tab on your website, 
of all of this kind of coffee because it doesn't seem to be dominating the news or the front pages? Well, I think it possibly depends on which stuff newspaper uh, you're picking up. But I think, uh, and individual editors of those publications make their own decisions, but a lot of the climate change coverage we're producing is used widely around our newspapers. And actually, it's it's all produced by the same pool of reporters. The, those same reporters work for stuff and they work for the newspapers. Just as an example of that, the I think it was on the weekend that you had a big front page story on whether they should move the port area in Wellington where the cruise ships come in. So potentially important for tourism, everything else. No mention in that story of any climate implications of that industry, which is known to be a major contributor. Is that likely to change or because it feels slightly schizophrenic? That's a really good point and it's something that our readers have told us recently as well is that they don't want us to isolate climate change coverage or have it in a ghetto uh, where this story is about climate change. They want to see climate change as an issue infused through other coverage so that in a story like that that we should be looking at through a climate frame as well as through the other lenses we, we might look at it. You mentioned that readers have given you feedback. I take it that was in the survey that I think ended in June. You had it up online. What were the results of the survey? So we surveyed for about a week, and we and it was asking our readers about climate change coverage in particular. So not climate change an issue, but how the media treats it and how stuff has treated it. And we had more than 15,200 responses, which was... Uh, about 15 times more than I had hoped we would get. So there were probably seven broad themes. People wanted to see, wanted to avoid being too depressed about climate change. So it's easy for climate change coverage to be series of bleak forecasts and predictions. And there was a clear message that we needed to balance that with giving people some hope so they didn't despair and feel like there was nothing they could do. Related to that, people wanted information on the personal contribution they could make, and that can be things in in individuals' lifestyles or the way households operate, but it can also be how people could use their consumer power or their their vote to influence climate change policy. They wanted to make sure that we were going to hold the powerful to account, so look at the behaviour of the big emitters and of uh, local authorities and the central government. Not to forget about farming, and this theme had bits of feedback that came from opposite ends of the spectrum. So a lot of people saying there isn't enough focus on uh, animal agriculture as a source of New Zealand's emissions. And then a lot of other people saying farmers are doing a lot to combat climate change but don't get credit for it. So either way, people wanted to see more of a focus on the rural sector. Then just to increase the volume, many of the respondents just wanted us to do more and to be more prominent about it, to have more stories on the front page of our newspapers, to have a climate change section really prominent on the Stuff homepage. Since then, we've added climate change to the Stuff navigation bar on our homepage. The sixth theme was to, in some ways, to go back to basics. Climate change can be quite a complex issue. There's a whole lot of, you know, there are scientific concepts involved. There's a soup of acronyms of, you know, the ETS and greenhouse gases, you know, GHGs, and then all these UN groups and um, government bodies. And there was a desire for us to simplify and uh, restate and reiterate the basic concepts of climate change to help people understand in each story. 
And then lastly, without being too speculative, uh, the respondents to the survey did want us to give a sense of what was to come, you know, what their lives might be like in 2030 or 2050 or their descendants' lives might be like in uh, 100 years' time. I imagine some of that 15,000 were climate change sceptics, deniers, whatever we want to call them. How significant was that and do you need to take them into account? Uh, Yes, there were some and they were a... Uh, a loud voice in the survey responses, but not a um, disproportionate voice. I think it's important to realise that climate change is very much a mainstream concern now. There was an Ipsos poll uh, a couple of weeks ago that said that 79% of New Zealanders were concerned about climate change, um, and that was up seven percentage points just in a year. And, And there's sort of a in the political sector and in the business sector, it's very much considered to be a mainstream issue now. So I think it's important to focus on how climate change will affect most people and how most people will respond to it, rather than worrying about the vocal but pretty small fringe of people who uh, decide to take issue with the accepted science. I counted up the travel advertising on Monday in the Dominion Post, which is is the travel day, so it's got the most, but it's seven full pages of travel advertising. To what extent are you in a difficult position as an organisation committed to reporting on climate change? You've stated you accept that it's urgent, but a lot of your advertising, whether it's travel or motor cars or probably Fonterra, are major contributors to the problem. That's a conundrum that, honestly, I don't really have an answer to. That's true. It's fair to say that companies that are large emitters advertise with us. It's also fair to say that stuff is a commercial news operation and we fund ourselves through advertising. So I would choose to say that uh, it's better that we continue to exist and can publish not just on climate change but on all the other social good that we deliver through our journalism uh, rather than cutting ourselves out of business by cutting off all our advertising. When you launched Quick Save the Planet, you wrote an editorial and I'm going to quote one of the things you said. I'm not speaking from the moral high ground. I'm a middle class hypocrite. I'm worried about climate change but my family drives two cars and you won't catch me on a bike. I eat meat daily. I love international travel. I use heaters when I could rug up. Now, I noticed that you're actually taking a tour sponsored by stuff to China, so you're encouraging people to travel. Mm. Is is that hypocritical? Well, like I've said, I fully uh, admit to being a hypocrite in that regard, and actually I think that that's a harmful standard to hold people to, to say that you can only care about climate change if you live a zero-emissions lifestyle and your behaviour is perfect and impeachable. I think that kind of focus on individual responsibility gets in the way of the discussions that we need to have about systemic change uh, and how society responds. But systemic change might include discouraging packages tours as a form of tourism and cutting back on tourism. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, and I also would agree that individuals like me can and should make lifestyle changes. I think we have to have reasonable standards for our personal behaviour. You must be reading just so much and becoming so au fait with this stuff. Have you changed since you wrote that editorial? You know, have, have any of those things changed? Are you eating meat daily still or...? Yes, they have changed in in a baby steps way, I would say. Uh, I eat less meat now, compost more, walk to work more often. 
than I did previously and, you know, look at investigating in EV. So, yes, some personal changes. Today, I think it was today, you've launched a new series where people can ask questions with the conversation, the originally Australian-based mm-hmm. academic publishing and um, the New Zealand Science Centre. And today's one was, is it impacting on our health? And it actually had a, a quite positive aspect to it, which was if we do those types of things, if we cut down on meat, if we do more exercise, if we cycle more, walk more, it's going to benefit the community health and our individual health. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, there's a lot of stuff about cars in our media, I think because of the advertising partly. No bicycle column. Any any thoughts of introducing some more cycling coverage? That's an interesting suggestion. Perhaps that's something we should look at. Yeah, perhaps that's something we should be looking at. Reviews, you know, tr- treating cycling like we do motoring in terms of reviews of new bikes. That's an interesting suggestion. I hadn't thought about it. The veteran broadcaster Bill Moyers spoke at the launch of this project and he compared it to the beginning of the Second World War and the way that the media, the American media, wanted entertainment news rather than the hard news about the terrifying prospect of the war with fascism. And he's called for a similar effort now that was required then. Is, is, are those the terms that you said in too? That was uh, another theme that came quite strongly from our reader survey. Uh, a lot of respondents said, treat this like a world war, treat it like a crisis, treat it like an emergency, give it that sort of scale of coverage. I suppose the slight danger there is when we think of the world war, we may say that it was a fight for freedom, but we know it was a time of press censorship. Is there any kind of danger that that critical voices get pushed out? Depends what you mean by critical voices. If you're using that as code for denialists, I don't consider that a danger. Uh, I think that the discussion needs to be robust and it needs to take in a wide range of voices, but the time for discussions over whether climate change is happening or not is decades in the past and the time now is for what the appropriate responses are, the best ways to adapt to climate change, how we change our society, what steps we can take to mitigate climate change. This week you launched Play Stuff. I went on the site, so this is an on-demand video site, and searched climate, 56 individual items, lots of them long-form documentaries. There is a challenge, isn't there, because there's just so much content. How do you, the issue live and vital without overwhelming people? Let's compare it to rugby. If we search for rugby, we would find many more pieces of content than that. You know, stuff, we would produce much more coverage of rugby than we do um, of climate change. We don't worry about people getting overwhelmed by rugby and, you know, running out of enthusiasm for the topic. Uh, I don't think there's a problem with us covering climate change too much. People can choose what they read and watch, uh, and they certain, you know, we don't expect that stuff's audience is going to uh, read or watch everything we produce. Um, but we know that the more we produce, the more likely it is that a certain piece might land with somebody. And to what extent do you have a specialist team covering this issue? And to what extent are you getting everyone, including those rugby reporters, to include it in stories? So we have a, a dedicated team of people working 
part-time on it, so that we don't have anybody dedicated to this full-time. It's all people who are juggling it as part of their other duties. But we've got some very talented reporters working on this as a major focus, people like Charlie Mitchell and Nicky McDonald and Andrea Vance and Carmen Parahi and Joel McManus. And, but it's basically an open invitation for any reporter throughout staff to kind of come in and out of this uh, project team and a general knowledge and expectation amongst our editorial staff, generally speaking, that climate change is a strong area of focus for staff and that it can and should be part of their reporting no matter what area they're working in. If we use that Second World War analogy, Mm. it's kind of inconceivable that you wouldn't have specialist full-time correspondence. Is that something we're likely to see in the future? Very possibly. But at the moment, we're getting an enormous amount of work out of the the team of people who are involved, but we also get to use their talents in other areas where they're well used to. I saw a recent American study which found that climate change was one thing readers, consumers of news were prepared to pay for, and people are, in fact, watching, listening, reading for longer periods of time. Any thoughts of trying to get public buy-in to help support your coverage? Oh, we would look at other ways of funding Quick Save the Planet that would allow us to intensify it. I don't think we'd be interested in making that an online subscription product that reduced reduced its visibility or made it harder for people to see that journalism. That was the Editor-in-Chief of Stuff, Patrick Crudson, speaking to Jeremy Rose about covering climate change now, an international week of climate reporting beginning on the 16th of September.